check, 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 hello, check, check. Are we ready to start, people? Are we ready to worship the Lord? I, know, I don't think it was my... Check, 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 hello, hello. Check, 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 there we go. I heard something, are we good? Yeah, okay, all right. with prayer and war is not left to our guesswork. Ephesians 6, 17. Listen to this connection. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer. Don't start a new sentence there. With all prayer and supplication, praying on every occasion in the Spirit, keeping awake with all perseverance. Now, it doesn't take any exegetical ability at all to see. Prayer is a power that wields a weapon. The sword of the Spirit, take it praying. Take it praying, right? It's the power that wields the weapons of warfare. Prayer is not a civilian device. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Now, think, put on your thinking caps. Do you get it? Why is the Father going to answer the prayers that we make in Jesus' name? Answer? Because Jesus has given a mission to go bear fruit. Or turn it around. Why did Jesus give us a mission to go bear fruit that would remain? so that we could enjoy getting answers to prayer. Therefore, why is there prayer? For what? For wartime, not for civilian time. The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is because they try to take a wartime walkie-talkie and turn it into a domestic intercom by which they ring up the maid to bring another pillow. It malfunctions. It's made for tanks. It's made for trenches. It's made for war. It won't work when you install it in your yacht. It won't work at the lake cabin. It won't work in the second and third and fourth car. So I want to give you a little rhyme. Until we believe that life is war, we will not know what prayer is for. Well, that's it. 
Until we believe that life is wrong, we will not know what prayer is for. Until we believe what life is for, we will not know what prayer is for. Life is war. We will not know what prayer is for. So we are going to we're going to start our time of warfare with a battle psalm. We're going to start uh, with Psalm 18, and then we're going to go right into praying, corporate prayer. So pray as you feel led, and we'll pass the mic around. So in Psalm 18. For who is the God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. And my arm can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down and make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me for the strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, he did not answer. I beat them as fine as dust and borne on the wind. I poured out like the mud in the streets. You delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. Foreigners cringe before me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be the God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Lord Jesus, you are the rock. You are the redeemer. You are the one that runs before us in battle and comes behind us as our rear guard. Lord God, we give you all glory, honor, and praise this day. And we just ask, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to run with you in the battle. Be with us this day, Lord, and help us to see the spiritual fight. Help us to see the enemy for who he really is and attack him on your ground. Oh, Lord, this is war. Allow us to fall down on our knees and worship. So thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing and what you're about to do today among your people 
so that we are filled up and can go out in the world and be your light to a hurting and dying world. So thank you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you, God, for our food and our family. Thank you that you gave us a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister and friends that can come to church and worship God and love God and uh, and pray. And thank you, God, for everything in the whole world. Amen. The word of the Lord in Exodus 34, verse 29 reads, And it came down about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So, Father God, I pray that even in that Old Testament example, you give us that New Testament look that our face would learn how to shine as brightly as it did with Moses because we spent time with you. And as we start a season where we're going to walk as disciplers and those being discipled, I pray that you would give us an opportunity to shine for you. And that not just our faces, Lord, but, but our actions. And not our actions, Lord, but, but the people we're with and not just everyone we're with, Lord, but the things that we say. And not even that, Lord, but the things that we think in our minds and in our hearts, I pray, would all be focused on one mission of bringing your son, Jesus Christ, honor and glory. Because when we shine for Jesus, we're lost and you are found. Lord, I pray that there are people that may not know what I'm talking about here, that if they have any questions, that they would reach out and they'd find someone shining for Jesus today. Lord, give us an opportunity to be the men and women and children that you've called us to be. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and, and his greatness is unsearchable. <clears throat> One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the, uh, the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Lord, that's what I pray, that 
uh, we would experience you in such a powerful way that we can't help but tell other people about who you are and what you do because you are a redeeming God. You are a loving God that is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger. And Lord, I just pray that as we walk together, that would be the testimony that uh, people would see uh, between our uh, between our congregation here, Lord, that um, we would walk, act, and talk like we have a God that is gracious and merciful. That's what I pray. Amen. Lord, as we were um, driving here this morning and praying, um, you just kept giving me the word faithful. Lord, you have been a faithful God. You have um, sustained our church through a really difficult time. Um, you have sustained our people. You um, sustain our families. Lord, you have been good to us. Lord, I pray that we would um, see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we would call on you as the almighty God, um, the creator of, of heavens and earth, who um, who have given us a purpose here. Lord, I pray that we would, would recognize your faithfulness in our lives so that we can share what you're doing. It's in your precious name. The word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 4. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not for our, from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Father, I thank you for the fact that, that although we walk in this flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful, because they're yours. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And I know there are people in this room right now, myself included, who we have put up fortresses. We don't even know what, we may not even be aware of them, but they're guards that we place up because we don't want to get real. We don't want to get real with you. We don't want to get real with one another. And, and, and that's because the enemy wants us to stay hidden behind those fortresses. He, he wants to... Um, make us feel like we're safe, but we're not. The only safe place is to run to you. We will never find you shoving us away. You don't turn your back on us. When we turn to you and, and cry out for help, we always find you with your arms open saying, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy laden. I get it. Come find my rest. Lord, help us find your rest today. In Jesus' name.
as it says up there, worship and prayer, things to pray for, holy revival, personal church, national revival. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 through 15. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, one, and pray, two, three, seek my face, four, turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Father, be glorified in the name of Jesus. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. We seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness so that all these things can be added to us. Lord, as we, your people, not just in this building, but your people across this land will do these things. Father, we pray for a healing of America. We pray for a healing, Father God, in Arizona. Father, we pray for the rain to come. We pray, Father God, that you, by your people, be glorified as we repent, as we seek your face, as we humble ourselves, as we pray. Father, we just ask, God, that you, as you are always true to your word, bring this about in our time so that the unbeliever can see that there is a God in America and he is Yahweh, he is Jesus, the three in one. Oh, Holy Spirit, move amongst us, your people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are worthy, all blessing and honor and glory and power be unto you, Father. Father, we come humbly today and we pray that you would instill in us a character that is like yours, that as we near you know, your coming, Father, that as our, as our life goes on, that you just be perfecting your character within us, Father, that we would take security in the knowledge that you make many personalities and that's good, that there's diversity within all of us, Father, but that you would be refining your character, not ours, in ourselves. Father, that with each passing day that we be could become more like you as we are setting aside more of ourselves, that we are laying down our own pride, our own lives, that we're laying down our own 
preconceptions about who we are and who we're meant to be, and we're just submitting to the definition that you've given us, the name that you've given us, Father. We pray that we never take your son's death lightly, nor would we take his life lightly. Father, that we could be a living embodiment of what it means to to be remade and reborn and renewed so that we could be a light as a church uh, to the world, that they would see as we walk and they would know us by our love, by our compassion, and by our, our glorification of you and your name, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever amen All right, kids, eyes on me, kids. Okay, think of uh, an adult in this room right now, one person. Got it? Okay, now kids, stand up. Okay, now when I say kids, if you're under the age of 25, that's all of you. Okay, now go, go pray for that person that you just thought of right now. And then the rest of you at the tables, if, you're, if someone's not getting prayed for, just pray for, for someone around that table. Come on, you can do it. Be brave.
can't have, let the kids have all the fun. So if you're over 25, we'll do the opposite. So if you're over 25, stand up. And, and you can stand up. So if you don't, if you, you can't walk, then that's, that's fine. Um, but if you're over 25, look around at all the kids. And the one the Lord lays on your heart, you go and you pray for them. So, Lord God, as we uh, go into music, I just want to lift up our officers to you. I thank you so much for the, uh, the men in blue that protect and serve us.
And Lord, I, I just want to pray over all of the, the rioting and all of the unrest that keeps to, uh, seems to keep happening in some cities. I pray sickness and plague upon everyone that does evil to the point that they get on their knees and they ask the Lord to help them and that they come to the Lord. So Lord, help us all. We love you. Amen. fortress and our strength, the rock on which we can depend, matchless in his majesty, his power and authority, unshaken by the schemes of man, never-changing great I am kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall he is faithful through it all oh crown him king forever crown him king forever crown him king forevermore man, crucified the spotless lamb, buried by the sons of man, but he was rescued by the Father's hand, to reign as King forever, reign as King forever, reign as King forevermore, King eternal God of grace. We crown you with the highest praise. Heaven shouts and saints adore. Your holy, holy, holy Lord. 
my joy in everlasting life. Find all is love and faith inside. Justice rolls and praises rise at the name of Jesus Christ, King of Kings forever, King of Kings forever, King of Kings forevermore. Would you all stand and worship with us this morning as we continue in song? Before we um, continue, I just wanted to share something that the Lord laid on my heart this week as um, I was reading in Psalms about how um, we come and we bring our thank offering to him. And he just struck me with the realization that too often I think I approach this time of worship specifically. Um, I come and, and I think, you know, that I'm do part of me is doing it for me. You know, I come and I want to feel a certain way and I want to experience a certain emotion. Or, And he just kind of hit me with the realization that it's not— I mean, I think we would all say, we all know it's not about us. We know it's not about me, but my heart really needs to be, you have given me everything and I am coming. And this is just a part, this is a small something that I can give you in return. So as we approach him in song this morning, um, I would just ask that you keep that at the forefront of your mind, that we are bringing him a thank offering, that when we're singing, we're not just singing words. This is part of us going, you have delivered our soul from death. You have delivered our feet from stumbling. We will walk before you in the light of life. And that is all because of what you have done for us. And we get to give back to you a little bit this morning. So just have that heart of humility and just put your eyes on him this morning and thank him. Oh, the saints and angels, they bow before your throne, and all the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God and sing, you worthy of it all you worthy of it all for from you are all things and to you are all things you deserve the glory sing all the saints all the saints and angels, they bow before your throne. And all the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God and sing, you are worthy of it all. it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Sing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. From you are all things, and 
unto you are all things, for you deserve the glory. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, you are worthy of it all. To you are all things, you deserve the glory. Sing it out one more time. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. the earth and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord 
will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath. We're going to pick it up a little bit this morning. You all know this one. Oh, this is where worship starts. Here in the temple of my heart, remembering who you are and all you've done. Amen. And this is your majesty, all I have tasted and I've seen, remembering who you are, and once again, sing it out, I see the Lord forever glorified, exalted and lifted high, and all of the kingdom it cries you are. This is eternity, deep calling deep inside of me, I'm right where I'm meant to be, here with you, and this is your family, stretching as far as I can see, I'm right where I'm meant to be, and once
and all of the kingdom it cries you are you are the lord you're seated upon the throne the god who is three and one the father the spirit the son you are you are the lord you're holy Please remain standing as I pray, and pray with me, if you would. I'm going to read for you what we just sang. This is what it's going to look like when we see the Lord. He is going to leave his throne and come back soon. And it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head are many diadem, and he has a name written on him that no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on the white horses. That's us, people. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you that as we continue to worship you in your word now, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth. I pray that what we do not know, you would show us, that what we cannot see, you would reveal to us. I pray that what we are yet to know or to learn, that you would teach us even in these next few moments so that what we are not yet, the image of your Son, you would make us into. For your glory and your glory alone, we pray these things. And this is why we gather in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you would, please stay standing for the reading of the word. I know you've been standing for a while, but you can do this, right? Please stay standing for the reading of the word of God. Jonah 1, 1 through 17. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He, brought, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you be asleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God! Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. 
Why has this awful storm come down upon us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? From what country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the storm, stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have made... You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him as a sacrifice, offered him a sacrifice, and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, please. Thank you, Chloe. What a sweet thing to hear our, our young people um, just sharing the word of God. We are starting today a six-week series, Lord willing, um, called The Reluctant Disciple. And we're going to be walking through this little book called Jonah. Right? And, and I'm not gonna, I don't do a lot of background to books. I just sort of lay it out a little at a time, week to week. But we'll spend a little time talking about the story before we jump into it. But if you, need a, if you have a hard time finding Jonah, Jonah is in your Old Testament. It is after what is called the major prophets. There are four of them. Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then there are these 12 minor prophets. And there are a bunch of books that are sandwiched between those major books and your New Testament. And so you can either go to your New Testament and work back to the left, but Jonah is sort of sandwiched um, between Amos, the bigger, bigger books of Amos and Micah. So if you want to find Jonah while I'm talking a little bit, um, I, I'm going to tell you that, that what we are going to see over the next few weeks, Lord willing, is that this is a perfect book for the season that we're in. And what I mean by that is everything that's been going on in our world over the last eight weeks or eight months or so, and then the, what's going to be happening in our country over the next two months as the election draws near and the craziness just continues to ramp up, the tendency would be to go, we need to preach on politics. We need to preach on, um, on being good witnesses. We need to, because all of that will come out in God's wisdom in this book to do a series on how to deal with conflict or how, to, or how to handle pressure in my wisdom and, and, and maybe bring in a little bit of Bible isn't what we do here at Cornerstone. We're gonna, this is the wisdom of the wise. And so we're going to stick to this. So you're going to see, you might go, well, wait, Jonah, why Jonah now, Doug? I, I'm telling you that you will see as we walk through this that Jonah is really, by God's, by God's providence, Providence, when I thought about doing this, I, I didn't put all these pieces together, but I've, as I've been outlining the series, I'm like, wow, this is going to speak specifically to where, we're, where we have been and where we are going. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about Jonah. So Jonah was a prophet of God. They call them minor prophets not because their message was less, but because their books are smaller. Right, so, so, so Jonah is no less important than Isaiah. Isaiah, Jonah lived around 
750 BC, just so you can have an easy number. Isaiah lived about 30 or 40 years after that. Many of you are more familiar with the prophet Isaiah than you are with the prophet Jonah. One of the contemporaries of Jonah was a man, was a prophet named Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. His, the one, the one, remember if you were here when Brian Tootin taught, the one who asked for a double portion of the blessing of Elijah. That will become important for us to remember. So Jonah is walking around the Israel the same time Elisha is. Undoubtedly, they knew each other. They had run into each other. They had talked together. So keep that in mind as we're going through this. Nineveh is the place where God is going to send them, right? We just read that. Chloe just read that in the first chapter. Hopefully you read that in your daily readings this morning in, in the first chapter. Nineveh was the capital of the kingdom of Assyria. They were the world superpower at the time. It is, in, it is right near what is now modern-day Mosul. You remember, I think that's how you say it, right? Mo Mosul or Mosul? Mosul? Who, who, who's in the military here? Remember all when we were over in Iraq? It's in what is now northern Iraq. Then it was, in the, it was under the kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrians were, and again, this is important for understanding Jonah a little bit. The Assyrians were brutal people. They're, everybody feared them. Guys, the Assyrians that, that lived in Nineveh, where Jonah's supposed to go, they're the ones that invented crucifixion, that ultimately killed our Savior 700 years later. The Romans perfected it, but they didn't invent it. The Assyrians did. They were known for their brutality towards people that were not of them. So we got we to gotta understand Jonah a little bit, um, and where he's being asked to go kind of helps with that a little bit. Eventually, those Assyrian people do conquer God's people. They conquer Jerusalem while Isaiah is there in 722 B.C. So this is about 30 or 40 years after Jonah this experience we're going to learn about in the next few weeks. But here's the thing. That's all a little bit of background. I'll lay out some more later. We need to, here's the question you always need to ask when we're coming to a book of the Bible or a passage of the Bible. Why is it there? Why is this in the Bible? Why is this account, this historical account, and I may call it a story just because it's easier to say that, but story brings to mind fiction. These are not fictitious stories. These are real accounts. It's history. It's part of our human history. But why is it in the Bible? Guys, there's a, there's a reason. And it's not a story about a fish. Guys, it's not even a story. And, and some of you have been in the leadership development program where we walk through the Old Testament. And I, and, I, and I repent before you that I have taught this poorly in the past. Not that what I taught you before was wrong, but that it wasn't the whole story. Like, if, the, 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 Jonah is not in the Bible just to show us what it looks like, to, be, to what, what happens to us when we're disobedient to God. Right? Jonah isn't a fish story. It's not even a story of a disobedient or a reluctant disciple. Ultimately, Jonah is a story of grace and mercy. And, and we're going to see that over and over as we walk through these next few weeks. Guys, God is at the center of the book of Jonah. The fish is barely mentioned. Jonah is mentioned a little bit. God is mentioned almost 40 times in four short chapters. So why is the book in the Bible? It's in the Bible to reveal the grace and mercy of God. That is not a New Testament concept. God has always been gracious and merciful, even as he has been holy and just and judged sin. Guys, ultimately, 
this book is in the Bible and why it's, why it's worth reading, regardless of what's going on in our particular country right now and whether it fits into this time frame that we're in, is because it is a wake-up call to God's people that if we are on mission with God, we will see God's glory revealed. If we run from God's mission, things don't go well for us. Life is hard. That's what this book is about. So today's message is actually, in light of that, is called Running in the Wrong Direction. Running in the Wrong Direction. And the question we're going to answer today through the text is, would you describe your journey on mission with Jesus as being rebellious, reluctant, or racing? Is, are you on, is, is, is your willingness to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, is it, are, are you rebelling? Are you just a little reluctant? Or is it, are you racing along and in step with the Holy Spirit in that? The path through the passage that we're going to look at is the first three verses are going to say, are going to show us, are your actions speaking louder than your words? The second part, the, the middle section of the passage is, are you mistaking being a Christian with walking with Christ? And the last point will be, are you missing out on what God's doing? So with that, let's just jump right in. We're going to pick it up in Jonah chapter 1. Hopefully you found Jonah by now and all of that rambling. And we're going to look at our first point. Are your actions speaking louder than your words? So Jonah 1 verses 1 through 1 and 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come upon me. Guys, understand this. God interrupts lives to do his will. This book, the Bible, is full of interrupted lives. Right? Abraham was, was having a great life. All of a sudden, God shows up. And, we'll get, and, and, and Abraham becomes the father of many nations. Moses, he's the prince of Egypt. He gets kicked out of Egypt. He spends 40 years as a shepherd. Again, he's having a great life. Burning bush. Oh, no, here we go. 80 years old. Now I've got to go march back into cap the place I was captive, or the, where, where they were held captive, and I've got to lead them out of there. That is an interrupted life. How about this one, guys? Mary, the mother of our Savior, 14 years old, maybe. Guys, I want to speak to the kids right now in this room. Guys, children, look at me. One, two, three eyes on me. You are not the future of the church. You are the church. Right? If God can use a 14-year-old to bring his son to earth, he will use you. The mission doesn't start when you get there, wherever you think there is. I turn 50, I'll be 52 in a few months. I'm still waiting to get there. I always feel like I would be more mature by now, whatever that was. I'm not there. So don't wait to get there, young people. You are the church now. Engage. And I, and I love that we have a, a group of kids that do just that here, whether it's from the time they were singing on the music team to helping set up and tear down to just, just going and praying over people and loving on them. It's, it's such a sweet body. And your presence here flavors it so importantly. Guys, we don't do children's ministry not because we can't figure out where or how to put you someplace. We don't do it, one, because we want you in here seeing how we worship, but here, I'll just be transparent. I need you. Like, I need you to teach me, to remind me how to love my Lord with just a childlike faith. So thank you for your willingness. Young people, thank you for your willingness to sit in what I'm sure sometimes feels like a boring service. I'm telling you, God is using you. 
That was not in my notes, but that's okay. So remember, guys, God interrupts a life when he wants to put it on mission. And, 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 he, and, and so, so I want to I like juxtapose these two things. Abraham, go. Two verses later in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, what does it say? Abraham went. Mary, having a great life. Gabriel, the angel shows up. Hey, guess what's about to happen to you? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you are going to bear a child, and you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And, you're like, and she's like, I'm going to what? You know what she said? May it happen to me just as you said. Now, in light of those two things, just those two, just those two examples, Abraham go, Abraham went. Mary says, let it happen to me. Just like, look, at what, look at what Jonah's response is in verse 3. God says, go to Nineveh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, I don't even know where you think you're going there, Jonah. You're a prophet of God. Where do you think you can go and flee from his presence? So he went down to Joppa. I've been there. It's on the sea. It's on the Mediterranean Sea in Israel. It's the port where a lot of the ships would come in and out of um, when, they would, when they would do trading from places like Rome, Spain, um, all the places Paul went. Paul would, would often leave from that area of Joppa. So he's going to go down to Joppa to find a ship where you, where you, where, um, which was going to Tarshish. Tarshish is a, is a, is, is the, they're not exactly sure where it was because there could have been several cities, but most scholars believe that Tarshish was a city in the southern part of Spain. It was in exactly the other direction from where God told Jonah to go. And, and he said, and then it says this, he paid the fare in, he, in the original Hebrew, that actually could mean he commandeered the ship, meaning he paid the whole price for the ship to get out of port as soon as possible. He's like, not just like, this was not a cruise ship, right? This was, this was not a, how much, how much is a ticket? This was, what, what do I have to pay you to get on this boat and get as far from here as possible right now? And, it, and, and implied in that is he paid whatever it took. And we'll come back to why that matters in just a minute. And then it says, and he went down into, into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Guys, I don't want to super spiritualize this. We don't want to like, like super like spiritualize everything we read in the Bible. But I, I do want to say this. Two times in that one verse, it says, he went down, he went down. Right? We always go down when we're running from the one who is above us. Down is always away from God. Right? We, and, and so one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what, if, what, what things am I, that are so beneath what God would have for me, am I using to distract me, or is Satan using to distract me from the one who is above me? Because that's ultimately what I see happening here. But he, God says go to Nineveh, which on my little map, I don't know where it was up there a minute ago, I think, but it, on my little map, it's this way. He goes exactly the other direction. And again, it's, it, there's a part of you that goes, like, I can't, hard, I, it's hard to blame you. You know, Nineveh, I mean, like he has no expectation, humanly speaking, that he's not going to be impaled on a pole and burned alive because that's what they did to outsiders. Guys, it's like, looking at you and going, hey, David, why don't you go to Syria and preach to ISIS? It gives you a little different, like, like, I get that. Accept that. He is a prophet of God, and he heard from the Lord, go. There's no Assyrian stronger than that. But we'll get there in just a minute. You, you might say, we might say, 
Guys, I, I would never do that. Like, I, man, you know, because I've had people say, well, I don't understand how God could ever choose a rebellious person like Jonah to send. Guys, I'll let you know a secret. You're Jonah. I'm Jonah. How do I know that? Because, guys, God said, go, Jonah, to Nineveh. How much different than that, we're going our, our, to start walking through the Gospel of Matthew. How much different than that is, is the great commission that Jesus gives us right before he leaves? He says, all power and authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, in that power, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I will be with you. But we go, man, I'm standing there at the, and I'm like, uh, and I'm the lady at the, opens up the, uh, the, the, like the, the conversation with me at the checkout counter, and instead of stepping into that conversation, and going, man, the, the whole, low, I am with you. Jesus is like shoving me in the back going, I'm with you, brother, get up there. I'm like, yeah, but she's going to think I'm weird or, you know, like, like, it's no different. In fact, we have a lot less excuse. One, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And two, they're not going to impale me on a pole. And yet we struggle with that. Guys, the greatest hindrance to us fulfilling the Great Commission, one of the things we've been, we're, we, we spent two weeks just talking about it coming into this series, about what's going and making disciples and planting churches, loving God, loving people. Guys, the, the greatest hindrance is, is living lives that don't want to be interrupted. We live lives that don't want to be interrupted because we just don't have the time. That's ultimately what it comes down to. We, 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 that's, what, that's what the enemy has convinced us of. And that's what he has filled us up with, is the busyness of life, even the busyness of church life, that we don't have time to actually be on mission for Christ. But guys, it is the mission Christ has called us to. We have to make the time. It's, it's why we're doing these D groups. And, and on your table, for, for literally the fourth week in a row, there, is a, there are brochures, like, or the reading plan like this. You can get it online. If you're, if you're trying to engage with people maybe on the internet, like Scott challenged us with a couple weeks ago, and you say, hey, I'm doing a reading plan through the Gospel of Matthew. Why don't you do it with me? How do I get the plan? They can go to our website. It's right there on the front page. D group reading plan. Guys, these D groups are just, are just relationally forming. If you need help with that, talk to one of the leaders, talk to me, talk to one of the leaders, but we are just trying to form relationships centered around the Word of God. It starts tomorrow. I posted a video on our website, a, a, a much too long video, about all the different things that are going on this fall. I admit that, but it walks you, part of that video, you go to, it walks you through what does it mean to read, reflect, and respond to the Word of God. So that then you can engage in conversation with whoever the Lord is connecting you with relationally, here or outside of our faith family. But they, they, these, these groups could be in person, they could be on Zoom, they could be some hybrid of both. Guys, we're, we're trying, we are trying to do what, we were trying to, what we've been trying to do on Sundays. We're trying to just provide the setting, this is the setting, and then get out of the Holy Spirit's way. But here's what it takes. It takes not going to Tarshish. Right, because I, I hear people, oh yeah, but you know, I, I'm just too busy to be in a group. It's just one more thing, and I don't even know what that is. And, or I'm too busy to read my word. Because I, I mean, the number, the only excuse that I ever hear, because you guys know, daily reading and responding to God's word has, is not a new thing here at Cornerstone. Right? I mean, how many of you have been here and heard that from me before? 
Reading and responding to God's word every day is essential to, to, to your walk. No, put your hands up. If you've heard me say that before, okay, because I say it a lot. Because, because, because guys, and, and I, yes, I get that it's a broken record because this is the only record that plays, right? The only solution we have to the pollution that the world is throwing at us in our minds is to renew our minds daily in the truth of God's word. And so we're going to hit it, we're going to hit it, we're going to hit it, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But the number one thing I hear all the time is, yeah, I just, yeah, I got up late. I'm just too busy. Things are, you know, I just don't, you know, my, my life is crazy. I don't care. I genuinely don't care. Those are all excuses. There have been seasons in my life where for me to get into the word of God that day, I have to get up at three in the morning. Just do it if that's what it takes. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're running to Tarshish. You just are. Now, some of you are going, yeah, but I have a reading plan, and I do read the Word, but it's not really, I don't want to do this Matthew thing because I've already been in the middle of my plan. So am I. That's why we made the readings really short. Week two, it's like five verses for the whole week. You can do that. Right? You could add that to your plan. Right? So that we're all having the same conversation together. Guys, the motivation for Jonah to run is real but it's a heart issue, right? If Jonah really loved the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength, and he really loved his neighbor, who are the Assyrians? Guys, guys, get this. The gospel call is not just a New Testament thing. Remember when I mentioned Abraham? Abraham go, Abraham went. Do you remember? Well, here's what God said. Through you, Abraham. This was in the beginning, more or less, of the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 12. He says, and through you, through your work, through your family, who ultimately leads to Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So when jo Jonah knew that, Jonah knew that call. Jonah knew that the mission of God's people was to go to their neighbors. And he runs. Because he has a heart issue. And guys, I'll tell you right now, so do I. And so do you. Men, I'm speaking to the men in the room right now. Men do what men want to do. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you don't have time to read his word. I don't want to hear that. I would love to hear you say, I need help in learning how. I would be happy to sit with you over coffee and do that. But don't tell me you don't have time. Men do what men want to do. Okay, I've said this many times, I'm going to put it up and then we're going to go to our table talk question, give you guys a chance to talk a little bit. When our have to, about being in the word, about being in a group, about, about following, walking with Jesus, when our have to, oh, I have to, yeah, Pastor Doug told me I have to be in the word every day. No, when our have to turns into get to, we know we want to for the right reason. When I go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, I know my alarm's going to go off at 4 in the morning, and I'm like, oh, come on. And yet I go, you know what? I get to get up and be in God's word. What a privilege to hear him speak to me. When in that moment, because I have, I have some have-tos in my life about God's word. I have those have-to moments, but when my have-to turns into a get-to, now I know my heart wants to for the right reason. Right? It's not to check a box. It's to meet with him. When I have to go share my faith, I have to, be, I have to go talk to people about Jesus. It's what he's left us here to do. Otherwise, he'd take us home. 
turns into get to, I get to go talk to people about Jesus? Really? I get to enter into a relationship with my neighbor just to see where the Lord will take it? Really? You know you want to for the right reason. So that's what your table talk question is about. It says, we all sometimes run from God in different ways, especially when it comes to sharing him with others. Chief among sinners, guys, I'll tell you right now. Chief among sinners. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time and just, and just like, like, share with each other. We're going sh- to take a few minutes and we're going to share with each other genuinely how we stink at this. Like, honestly, it's okay. Guys, this is a safe place to say, I stink at this. And part of why I gather here is so I can learn to be equipped to and be encouraged to do better. So you're going to share some examples of times where you have felt like you failed by not leaning into what the Spirit was leading you into in some sort of conversation. So there's that, you know there's those moments where you're like, man, I know that the Lord, and then you walk away like two minutes later, and you're like, oh, that's what I should have said, right? Right, so share, I want you to share those times, but I don't want you to leave it there. Then I want you to take another, another few minutes and say, now encourage each other, like you'll encourage each other, and yeah, I know I struggle, I struggle, I struggle, but then here's the key. Hold each other accountable to sharing Christ in some way with somebody by next week when you come back. So you're going to talk about where you struggle in this, and then you're going to encourage each other in that struggle and say, okay, so how are you going to talk to somebody next week, during this next week? Go.
start to turn it towards the encouraging one another. And okay, so how can like maybe somebody share like here's a here's a way we can all commit to being in some conversation about Jesus in the next week. Okay, um, I'm sure you can take more time, but I'm not going to give it to you. So um, we're going to go ahead and kind of keep going. Uh, normally I would share around the room, but I, just, I, I don't want to lament about stories anymore, but just encourage. So everybody here is challenged, basically, myself included, to figure out how we can enter into some kind of a conversation, even if it's just to build a relationship. Like to say, I was talking to a brother before the service, and he was talking about his neighbor, his unsaved neighbor, who's like, hey, you know what, you want to go for a ride today? He said, sure, and it's just a great avenue to start to just, okay, where's the Lord going to take that conversation next? And, and away we go. One of the things I wanted to say before we go on to our second point is, I don't want to, um, I just, the Assyrian people, right, I've not been there. Um, I, like every place there now, there's still bad people, you know, over there, I'm sure. But as a people, like some of the most passionate believers I have ever met have been Assyrian Christians. So I don't want to, like, disparage a people group. Like, this was... 3,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago. So I, I, um, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, Assyrians are still impaling people on sticks. There probably are some over there that are doing that, right? I mean, beheading people, etc. And guess what? Some of that stuff's happening just about everywhere in the world. You know why? Because we're all sinners in need of the grace of God. Um, so I just, I wanted to make that clear just in case somebody has like, yeah, but my cousin's Assyrian. Okay, praise the Lord. Hopefully he knows Jesus. That's what matters, right? Okay, so would you describe your journey on mission with Jesus as rebellious, reluctant, or racing? So we looked at, are your actions speaking louder than your words? So in other words, Jesus, our prophet of God, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm on mission for God until he's told to go, and then he runs. And do we do that as well? Second is, are you mistaking being a Christian with walking with Christ? Are you mistaking being a Christian but walking with Christ? Um, a, a Bible teacher that was here in the valley for many years, Larry Wright, he went to be with the Lord many, many years ago, but he used to say this. Being in a garage does not make you a car. Right? Like, like saying, being, I'll say it again. Being, some of that was just right over somebody's head. Being in a garage does not make you a car. Sitting here today does not make you a Christian. Being born into a 
Christian home does not make you a Christian. Right? Following Christ is what makes you a Christian. In fact, even praying a prayer, walking an aisle, getting dunked in a horse trough, does not make you a Christian. Following Christ makes you a Christian. That's what the word is. So let's look and see how, how Jonah demonstrates this to us. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. Did you see who started the storm? We're going to come back to that at the end. Who started the storm? The Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind at the sea, and there was a great storm in the sea, so the ship was about to break up. And when the sailors became afraid, every man cried out to his God. The word God there in Hebrew is just the, is the Hebrew word El. It's just the word translated God, like small g. It's where we get the word Elohim, which is, just a, which is the plural word for God, right? But it's still not the God, it's just a God. And then it says, um, they, they cried out to his God, which means they all had different ones, apparently. And they threw the cargo, which was on the ship, into the sea to lighten, that, to lighten it. But Jonah had gone below in the hold of the ship, laying down, and had fallen asleep. He obviously didn't struggle with a weak stomach like I do. I'd have been throwing up in the storm. Um, so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God, again, small, these are all small g's, L-L-L. That's the word E-L in Hebrew. It says, will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Guys, why is he sleeping? Here's why. Disobedience always drains us. Disobedience always drains us. Some of you ought to be writing that down. Disobedience always drains us. The lure the enemy has is, man, this is whatever this is. Lust issues, pornography, substance abuse, whatever... Miss, like not being connected to a body of believers, whatever it is, th he's like, you know, this is where you're going to find your rest. You never come out of those times more energized, right? You, you always end lower than where you started at some point because that's what disobedience does, right? I, I've said this before, but I, I want to just keep saying it. Jesus, grace, filled, love-centered Jesus, uses his, saves his harshest words for those, in the Bible, for those people who claim to be his but are not living like it. Jesus uses, saves his harshest words for those who go, yeah, I'm absolutely a follower of Christ. Or in his world at the time in the Gospels, I'm, actual, I'm absolutely a follower of Yahweh, and yet they weren't living like it. Those are the people he rebukes. Our loving Jesus, those are the people he rebukes. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Can you imagine Jonah? Why does he make him go to the trouble? I don't know how many of these dudes there were. Lots were just these stones, like modern day dice. One side was dark, one side was light. They would cast them to get answers. Right? Yeah, it, was, it was sort of like the magic eight ball. Right idea, if you've ever seen that. It was completely, you know, it, it just, we'll get back to the lots here at the, end of the, at, the, at the end of the time, but this is how they would make decisions. Why does Jonah make him go to the trouble? He knows who it is. He knows it's going to fall on him, or he doesn't really believe his God is big enough to make that happen. And, <gasps> uh-oh, 
And then it says, when they, when they fell on him, he said, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? What people are, from what people are you? Now, verse 9 is the key to this whole chapter. Verse 9 is the key to this whole chapter. Does he really fear God? Because look at what his answer is. Jonah said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, God, the Lord God from heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Really, Jonah? Do you really fear the Lord? But God could say, I could, I could be accused of, and some of you have known me long enough to know there are moments in my life where you could go, where, where somebody, where you might call me out on something, and I would say, I am a Christian. I follow Christ. And, you, and they could look, you, you guys could look at me and go, really, Doug? Like right now? Because I'm not seeing it. Right, Jonah's like, he's all, I, I'm, I am a Hebrew, I'm of God's people, I, I, am, I, am a, I am in the garage, so I must be a car. That's what he's saying. And, and they're like, wait, what? Then why don't you love well, Jonah? Why don't you have God, if you're God's people, why don't you have God's heart for people? But again, don't put it on Jonah. Look at yourself. Look at each, like, like look at me. If you have a hard time looking at yourself. If, if you're really a Christian, why don't you have Christ's heart? Why don't you have Christ's love for people? Why doesn't your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or your Instagram post or your Snapchat whatever, why doesn't it show an overwhelming love for people and an overwhelming faith in God? He's called a prophet. Verse 10, the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had said, because he had told them. We're going to pick this up here. And, um, yeah, I'll keep going. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea has become increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me in the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon us. How, guys, get, look, look at this, look at verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but, this, but they could not, for the sea had become even more stormy against them. Guys, do you see what's happening? The prophet of God should have been saving them. He should have been forthright from the beginning and going, here's the truth of who God is. These pagan sailors are, are striving to save him. He says, throw me overboard. They're like, no, we don't want to do that to you, brother. I'd be like, you're out of here, man. This, if there's a shot, this is your fault. See ya. And they're like, no, we're going to keep paddling. We're going to keep rowing these. We're going to get this thing to show. And they can't do it, and they can't do it. And it's completely the opposite. The man of God is, is not saving them, and the pagans are saving the man of God. God is a crazy scientist. Verse 14. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have gone, have done what you have, have, you, what you have pleased. Guys, get this. That word, Lord, there, hopefully in your Bibles, your translation is all capitalized. you know why? Because it is, it is no longer, remember at the beginning of the section? And every man prayed to his L, God, little g. Those same men because of what they've seen going on in their life, are now praying to the big Lord, L-O-R-D, known as Yahweh. 
Did you know that in the original Hebrew, and I'm taking Hebrew now, so you're going to get all kinds of wonderful Hebrew things. I'm taking Hebrew now, and you think Greek is hard. Oh, my. But here's the thing. In the original Hebrew that was written, they did not have vowels. They spoke vowels. They didn't have vowels. But guess what? Hundreds, like 200 A.D., some of the scribes were like, you know, this would be a lot easier for people to read if we actually inserted some vowels. So people knew whether it was Yahweh or whatever. But here's the, but here's the key even based on what I just said. When they started inserting vowels, the, word was so sac- the words were so sacred, they wouldn't put them in the middle of the word, like L-O-O-R-D. They would put them above or below the word because they didn't want to break the word up because God's word was so sacred. But guess what one word they never even put a vowel on? Yahweh. That word, Yahweh, has vowels in it, when you say it, A-E-I-O-U, I'm not an English person, I'm a science geek, but I'm just like, there are vowels in my voice when I say Yahweh. I know there's a vowel in there somewhere. But they thought, they knew the name of God to be so holy, they could not change it. And we toss it around like it's nothing. Hey, Big Daddy, how you doing? Not a fan. Why? Is God our Father? Absolutely. His name is Lord. And He is holy. And these pagans figure that out. Do you, do you see the, the complete change of what should have been going on here? Jonah should have been going to Nineveh. Jonah should have been saving the sailors if he decided not to go to Nineveh. And instead, this man is getting thrown overboard. Look at verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him in the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Guys, how did this man of God get here? Like, seriously. He was talking to kings. Second Kings, he's talking to the king of Israel. He's giving him guidance. How does that amazing man of God, who's talking to God, talking to kings, end up one, two, see ya. How does that happen? The cor- Again, turn it back to us. How does that happen to any of us? When we run from the one above us. And it happens to all of us at some level. Right? Don't look at Jonah and go, oh, Jonah, you were such a fool. Look at yourself and go, I am Jonah. I am. At some level, we are. And that's where we have to rely on the grace of God. Like, we're, we're asking, like, like, you read the story and you're like, Jonah, just repent and say you're sorry. We'll get there next week. Look, so today's question, would you describe your journey on, on mission with Jesus as rebellious, reluctant, or racing? So we looked at, are your actions speaking louder than your words? Are you mistaking being a Christian, just saying that I'm a Christian, versus walking with Christ, actually walking with the love of, in your heart that he has? And the last part is, and we're going to use it to kind of wrap everything up, is are you missing out on what God is doing? Are you missing out on what God is doing? So look at the last two verses of our passage. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and for three nights. Guys, do you get what just happened in those to the sailors and that? Those sailors got saved, and the man of God missed it. 
Those sailors got saved. They cried out and made sacrifices and vows to the Lord, and the prophet is in the drink. The thing is, guys, we, when we are not on mission, we are the ones who miss out. Right? Understand something. God, Jesus does not need us to fulfill his mission. He doesn't. You are not, I am not, we are not doing Jesus a favor when we tell people about him. We're just being obedient to what he's told us to do. Right? Don't bust your arm patting yourself on the back if you've shared Christ with three people this week. He didn't need you to, but he's sure glad you did. We have got to understand, because we've got to understand that our God is sovereign over all things, including the, the interactions we have and what happens in those moments. Just take a look at the story we've been in. I'm going to fly through these quick because I'm way over time. God is, God is responsible for everything we've seen here today in this story. The storm. He is responsible for the storm. God brought the storm. In, in, Psalm, in Psalm 89, the rule of the swelling sea, when the waves rise, you still them. Even when they cast the lots, who was responsible for the lots falling on Jonah? God was. Proverbs 16, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Guys, the storm ceasing, back to Psalm 89, it was part of that. But guys, remember the scene when Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples are like, God, you know, don't you even care? Very similar to the captain going and kicking Jonah awake. Don't you even care? We're perishing. What does Jesus do? He says he got up and he rebuked the wind. He's like, be still. And it was. Because he's still calm in storms. The fish, we just read it. The fish is, the fish was appointed by a, by a sovereign God. He, he didn't just show up there on accident. It says in, in Psalm 146, how blessed is he who will help, who has the help of the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. The fish was under God's control. Finally, all of this is God executing justice on the oppressed, who gives, he gives food to the hungry, he sets the prisoners free, he opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises up those who are bowed down. And we want to come back to that passage next week. But guys, as, I, as we begin to wrap things up, I want you to understand something. The fish is not punishment. The fish was not God. Three days in the belly of the fish was not God punishing. I, I, I've taught it this way. If God wants you to go to Nineveh, you're going to Nineveh. You'll go the easy way or the hard way. Shame on me. Shame on me. That's not what the story's in here for. The fish was an instrument of God's mercy. How do you know that? Because God could have let Jonah drown. Nobody else was coming along. Right? God could have let Jonah drown in his anger. And instead, he sends a fish to save him. Now, it's going to be used to bow Jonah's knee a little bit, not as much as we'd like, but we got to understand, the storm, the lots, the fish, all those things that we see in this story are instruments of grace. And when we don't step into the mission, it isn't God that's missing out. It's us. You know what we miss out on? Seeing his instruments of grace. Being his instruments of grace. Watching him show up in a moment miraculously and go, man, that had to be God. That conversation had to be God. Because I know it wasn't me. That's what we miss out on. That's, what we, that's why we have to 
get better at being on mission. The music team's going to come up, and the people that are going to be bringing the communion, tray, communion trays around to your table are going to come up. But guys, I, I, as they do, I want you to hear me. So don't get distracted by them coming up here. I want you to hear me. God does not use a ta- doesn't, He doesn't need you to complete his tasks. He doesn't need you to complete his tasks. He uses his tasks to complete you. I'm going to say that again because I just went over somebody's head. God does not need you to complete his task. He uses his task to complete you. Guys, that's why we, that's, that's, if you really want to be who Christ has made you to be, if you want to enter into glory someday, conform to the image of your son, of his son, Jesus Christ, you cannot do that apart from being on mission. It can't happen. Why? Because being on mission is what leads you there. Guys, do you remember what, he, what Jesus said? I read it earlier. Go therefore and make disciples. Remember what he said? And lo, I am with you. The lo, I am with you is directly tied to the go therefore. If we're not going therefore, if we're running to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh, he doesn't need to be with us. So why would he be? Why would he show up in power if we're not doing anything that requires him to show up in power. But we beg him and say, Lord, we just, I just want to experience you more deeply. I want to taste you more richly. I want to see you move in power, and I want to do so from my couch. It just doesn't work that way. It, I, I'm, I'm so, I wish it did for my own. I, I would like that too. It does not work that way. When God says go, when Jesus says, go make disciples, there is no justifiable reason not to do it. We all make reasons. None of them are justifiable. When God said to Mary, here's, the mission, here's how you're going to fulfill the mission, she did it. When God said to Abraham, here's how you're going to fulfill the mission, he did it. By God's power. Fourteen years ago, I was working in the Peoria School District, on, on my way up career-wise, going, you know what, oh, this is awesome, we're doing good, health plan, we're awesome, we're, things are great, and God's like, no, you're going to go. Terry and I are like, really? Are you sure? I feel like we're being used right here, God. He's like, no, you're going to go. So we stepped out, and we entered into a 14, well, actually about a seven-year path of exactly the opposite of what the world would say was success. For the first seven years or so, my paychecks got smaller, our insurance got worse, our security got less. It's just the way it was. Oh, not to mention, like Paul talks about, in addition to all of these things, there's, I have this massive burden for the church. Guys, and I'm not, I am, listen to me, I'm not sharing this for you to feel sorry for me. I'm not. I pr- I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do, exactly where he's called me to do it. I love you people. You are the best people I know. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But being a pastor is hard. And being a pastor's family is really hard. And there are scars that they have experienced that if I would have just said no to God 14 years ago, they would never have felt. And there was a scene, we were at the school... It was, it was about two years ago, a little over two years ago, we were at the, at the school we were meeting, and Abby was not on music that day, and we were in the back of the room towards the end of the service, and it had been one of those scarring moment, times. I mean, we had been hit hard. Just, it's what people do. 
That's what I, and we do too. We're not sinless in this. And we're both in the back, and we're both kind of weepy, and I put my arm around her. And I looked at her and I said, Abby, as your dad, everything in me wants to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for putting you through this. I'm sorry that the decision I made 14 years ago has led to a place where you get punched in the face for things that aren't even your fault. And then I looked at her and I said, but I'm not. Because everything you've been through is what is making you into who you are in Christ. Because we don't get it both ways. And not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not every, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But wherever you are, God has got you there on purpose, for a purpose. And if you step out of those go moments, you are missing out on some amazing times of experiencing his power and some really hard, hurtful times of being scarred. But our Savior was scarred. We can't look like him without him. So as we go into this time of response, and I'll lead you through communion in a few minutes, because I want to I invite you into your go moment. Right now, all of us, little ones included, what I said earlier still applies, guys. Where is he telling you to go? Who is he telling you to go to? And step into that. Like right now, commit, as, as, as we take some time, by his strength, in his gospel power, for his gospel glory, can you step into that go moment and trust him, even if it's to send you to a place where you might get crucified? Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the truth of who you are. I thank you for the story that you're telling, that Jonah is, is a part of a beautiful story of grace, and it's a beautifully gracious part. I thank you that you call us to go, that you're with us in our rebellion, that you send instruments of mercy when we, when we do run, that you're a pursuing God, that you're a loving God, that you're a gracious God, that you're a God on mission, and you see fit in your wisdom to invite us into the mission with you. Lord, let us do so for your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen. great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope Who could imagine 
So great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope then came the that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my Jesus Christ, my living hope. If you would find your cups wherever they are on your table, and um, I'm intentionally going to put my Bible over here, and I'm going to stand over here, because this is me, not the Word. Um, but I'm just going to walk us through communion um, in a way that's centered on the Word, but is not the Word of God. And I want to make sure that we understand that All right so um, if you want to take the cup I want you to just take the cups and don't look at me look at them if you're a follower of Christ what we hold in our hands is a representation of his body broken and his blood shed this was necessary to accomplish the mission because their mission is redemption there's no there's nothing we can do for that 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But the only blood that can really wipe the sins of the world away had to come from the perfect one. The one who sweat drops of his blood and said, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what we hold before us. That's, he is the one. So picture yourself right now in the upper room with the disciples. He's up there. Judas has left the room. He has washed their feet to be an example of what sacrificial servant leadership looks like. And then he takes the bread. And he does this because he knows we need this. He knows we are going to, not just they needed it in the upper room, but he knows we are going to need to be reminded of our communion, our connection to Christ over and over and over again because the world will drown him out. So he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. This is my incarnate human body that is going to be broken for you. Remember what this took and do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then he took the cup and he was commissioning them for the mission. He's commissioning us for the mission. He's saying, you're, you're gonna need to, you need to go with me and I need to go with you, but you need to go. And he says, so, so you're gonna take this cup and, and in the reminder of what I have done, already finished. You're, it's going to remind you of these words that I have not even spoken yet. It is finished. Victory is certain. So you're going to be on mission to see souls saved and sanctified for my glory by my power. By following my example of being a servant leader. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So let's take the cup and remember the life ransomed. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for, for uh, the most beautiful part of your plan. That from the beginning, you had promised that that moment was going to come in the upper room that that moment was going to come on the hill of Calvary, that that moment was going to come at the empty tomb, and you have promised that that moment is going to come when you come again. But remind us of where we started today, that I saw the Lord in the clouds, seated on a white horse, and his name was faithful and true. He is and was and always will be. The Word of God, in Jesus' name, amen.
Let's sing one more chorus of Living Hope. And then we'll go to our last song. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have broken our chains. You have set us free. Thank you for what we just celebrated, that your body was broken, your blood was shed. Thank you for ransoming us, Lord. I pray um, as we sing this last song together, as we sing about a thousand tongues, we wish that we had more of us to praise you with, Lord. But I pray that you would see our praise this morning um, as sufficient, Lord, that you would delight in us this morning. And thank you for um, the worship that we've had together already. I pray for your blessing over the rest of this time in Jesus' name. All right, everyone stand up. We're going to get a little bit more lively. So let's sing with joy this morning. We are sea of voices, we are an ocean of your praise. We're gathered under one name, where the tide that's rising, and we cannot be contained. We're gathered under one name, oh, for a thousand times to sing the cross where sin was slain. Amen. We're gathered under one name, where every chain is broken, and every sorrow swept away. We're gathered under one name, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glories of our Lord God Almighty. You are worthy. Yes, you're so worthy. 